0: As you know, we typically will pick a book and go through the book verse by verse. And uh, we're going to take a little break because we just finished Mark. And we were in Mark for quite some time. And I'm thinking that we're going to go into Acts next. So in between uh, finishing up Mark and going into Acts, I want to just take a few weeks, maybe probably two, and talk about the Calvary Chapel distinctives. Uh, And there are a number of reasons why I wanted to do this. Um, This has been something a little bit of a journey I've been on myself just in the last year or so as uh, I knew that I was stepping into becoming the senior pastor here. That's a real commitment. That's a real commitment. And it's a, it's a, a lifelong commitment in my eyes. This is not a stepping stone. God could do anything, right? And we don't know what the Lord may do even in a day's time. But, uh, when I signed on to this, it was, it was for life. I will be here until the Lord takes me out or until the next guy comes up. And so I had to really think through, you know, Calvary Chapel. Is this where I'm at? Is this my DNA? And, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about what it means to be a Calvary Chapel. What are the distinctives? And partially because we're changing our, we've changed our name, as you guys know, uh, from Cornerstone to Calvary Chapel. And part of my heart in that was just, for the sake of clarity, communicating who we are and and what we're about and what makes us unique, what makes us distinct. And so that's been part of it. And so it's been really good for me. Let me just say, guys, as I have been working my way through all these distinctives and listening to other Calvary pastors preach on these things, and there are a number of conferences that you can find on YouTube and, and different things that have been very helpful to me it has been just good for my soul i have been encouraged in such a way and i'll talk about that a little bit as i go but it's been good for me because i was when i was born again when i became a believer uh i got saved and i went immediately into a calvary chapel and i was there for a couple of years and i thank god for that time there came a point where i thought i want to see what else is out there and in the in the deep south southeast where I'm from, not SoCal, different south. Um, The Bible Belt. I mean, there is a church on every corner. It is no joke. You guys, if you don't have a frame of reference, you can't understand what I'm even talking about. But I mean, it is like churches galore. And so that being the case, you could just church hop and hop and hop and hop and never have to go to one church twice. And and so I, I went out and I began to see what else is out there. And I began to have a real appreciation for other streams, so to speak, and the things that, that were important to them and how they did church. And, um, and that was good for me. But by God's providence, He brought me back into Calvary Chapel. And when I came back, I knew that I knew that that was where I fit. That was where God called me. And it's in my DNA. And so I want to talk a little bit about what that means. And there are distinctives of Calvary Chapel and I have a list of 17 distinctives here and we're not going to go through all of them today we're going to break it in half and so the first portion of the list is a little more on the theological side a little more doctrinal kind of uh, what we believe and next week's going to be a little more on the practical side how we how we worship how we function as a as a body so it's going to be a little more practical it's important guys that we understand who we are where we came from what we're about and you know this is not to say that we're better than anybody else at all that is not what i'm saying and when i say that we're distinct distinctions are are good i I don't mean that in a divisive way i don't mean as to say we're the only ones doing it right or we're doing it better than everybody else that is not what i'm saying at all but it's good for us to understand our DNA and the things that make us who we are. So I just wanted to take a moment and talk a little bit about the history of Calvary Chapel. A little bit about the history of Calvary Chapel. This is not in your notes. But uh, let me just say this. You hear us reference Pastor Chuck quite a bit. If you'll hear it, most Calvary Chapel pastors do from time to time. And he was a really godly man who had a, a great impact on, on a lot of us. But let me just say this. We are not Chuck worshipers. Okay. I'm not a Chuckite. Okay. I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. I worship him. I serve him. But God used Pastor Chuck in an extraordinary way. And he, he set a real example for us, uh, young men. And he really set forth a model of ministry that a lot of people really resonated with. And God blessed it and has used it. And it has continued on. And God has blessed the ministry of Calvary Chapel. And so many of us have followed in that heritage that we have received. Let me just say, um, you know, I never met Pastor Chuck, but I have his Through the Bible series, so I've heard Pastor Chuck teach through the entire Bible. He did it in 360 sermons, and I'm actually going through it again. And so that's kind of my rite of passage as a Calvary Chapel pastor. I've heard Papa Chuck teach the, the whole Bible through and... It's, been, it's good. It's been a, a great example set for me, and I've learned a lot from that, that man of God. And so, oftentimes, you'll hear us say, you know, Chuck said this or Chuck did that. And, and it's just respect, it's appreciation. Uh, it's, it's what we've learned from that, that man, and, and nothing more than that. Um, let me just tell you a little bit about him. He was a, a four square gospel pastor before Calvary Chapel came into being. That was the denomination that he served in, it's a Pentecostal denomination. And he struggled. He struggled for years in ministry. For at least 20 plus years, ministry was nothing but a challenge for him. And he would bounce from church to church to church. He was a a topical kind of a teacher. He didn't teach verse by verse at this time in his ministry. And so basically, he would have about 200 uh, sermons that he could develop and cycle through, and then he was out of material. He didn't really know what to do after that. So what do you do? You just pack up and go to the next church and go through those 200 sermons again. And that was kind of the pattern for him. And he kind of came to a place where God began to do some pretty radical things in his own life and his own thinking. He began to enter into this idea of just teaching the Bible cover to cover, take a book and just teach through it, teach through the Bible and then do it again. And as that was happening, simultaneously, God was doing some incredible things on a much larger scale. A lot of you in here probably are familiar with what we refer to as the the Jesus movement, right? A lot of you have probably been directly affected by that. I mean, it was a full on revival here in the country in the 60s and 70s. People were coming to Christ, I mean, by the thousands and the thousands. It was amazing. It was radical. And it really transcended denominational boundaries. Um, I have a dear brother. He's an elderly guy over in Vallejo, and he was a pastor at that time. And he had recently left the Pentecostal church and became a staunch Calvinist. And he experienced explosive growth. And he was convinced it was because he was preaching Calvinism. And so I just think that's so funny. He knows now. He knows it had nothing to do with that. But at that time, he was experiencing all this growth because of the Jesus movement. And he thought it was because he was teaching election, oddly enough. And so um, Calvary Chapel was kind of born out of that. When Chuck came to the church of Calvary Chapel in 1965, there were 25 members. And at its height, I think it got up to 20, maybe 25,000 members. And now it's around the world. There are Bible colleges, radio stations, uh, thousands of Calvary churches and affiliates. It's pretty amazing what God has done. God was a, uh, excuse me, Chuck, definitely not God, Chuck. He was a conservative pastor. He was a conservative man. He was definitely suit and tie, bald head. You know, he was nothing that would appeal to hippies. But oddly enough, God used him to reach the hippies and it was revolutionary. And they began to really respond to Chuck and to come into his church by droves. And there was a real cultural problem at that time. There was a lot of clashing. People didn't know what to do with that. And, uh, you know, one one really famous story is that they had new carpet in the church and the elders of the church were afraid that the hippies would come in with their bare feet and destroy the carpet. And so they put up a sign by the front door saying, no bare feet allowed in the sanctuary. And Chuck just happened to come in a little earlier that morning and he took the sign down and called a meeting and said, we will rip this carpet out of this sanctuary before we tell anybody they can't come in here. And so uh, Pastor Chuck had initially really struggled with the hippie culture. It was hard for him, but his wife had a broken heart for the hippies and she would pray for them and and uh pastor chuck really caught a hold of that and god began to use them mightily in the the hippie community and many of those young men uh, and women came to christ many of the, those young men as we know now have gone out and planted calvary chapels all around the country and the world and they were just you know surfer kids and, and hippies at that time and and what a wonderful work God has done. There's been a couple of waves of growth from the 60s on through the 80s. But currently, there are 1,800 Calvary chapels and 40, uh, 400 affiliates, meaning are they're in the affiliation process. So we have 1,800 Calvary chapels and 400 that are working towards becoming a Calvary chapel. That's pretty amazing. That is the work of God. He did that. And... Uh, And so I'm uh, excited to be a part of a Calvary Chapel and to be a part of what God is doing in this movement. And as I said, we have distinctions that make up the model. But I want to say this. In the spirit of unity, there are many other churches out there that are doing great things too, and God is doing a work. And we worship the same Father. We're filled with the same Spirit. We are reading from the same Bible. We all share in the same baptism they are our brothers and sisters, and one day we will be in the same heaven. Amen? And so this, again, is not my attempt to be divisive or say that we're better or doing things better. I just want to communicate who we are so that we can understand these things and be about these things. Because sometimes we, we forget where we came from. Sometimes we forget what is important and, and what makes us distinct. And that's why I want to go through these things Because in some ways, guys, I have to admit, I have gotten away from some of these things. And in some ways, I've come to realize, I don't know that I really got a hold of some of these things in the first place. And so I've had somewhat of a grace awakening in my heart just in the last week or two, particularly as we consider grace, which will be one of the first things that we're going to to look at here. So as I said, we have a list of 17 things. And so let me just say, we're not the only church that does these things. And... I don't want to say that these are the only things that we do here in this church. Obviously, there's more to it than just this, but these are the things that we really want to be marked by and emphasized. So I'll just read the list. We're not going to cover all 17 today. Number one, the centrality of Christ. Jesus is the main thing. Two, grace, love, the Scriptures, doctrine, the Holy Spirit, the rapture, balance atmosphere when i say atmosphere i just kind of mean the environment of the church as we come in we'll talk more about that later worship giving children membership ministry and i mean that in a congregational serving kind of way church government servant leadership and faith faith as in taking steps of faith serving the lord radically ventures of faith and so those are a number of things that, are, that uh, we embrace and that we celebrate and we seek to walk in. Not necessarily in that order, although I would say the first couple should top the list as they do because indeed, Jesus is the main thing. Amen? So let's talk a little bit about that. I have a number of Scriptures connected to uh, each one of these topics that you can go back and look over yourself. I would encourage you to do that. Um, this is not my... It's not my uh, intention here to do a deep teaching on every one of these topics that's not the point when i told bill pastor bill how many i was going to cover today he was like you're kidding me right and i was like no i mean i'm not going to go in depth i'm just kind of giving you guys an overview here so having said that i would encourage you to look at these verses and i'll i might comment on some of these verses as we go so jesus is the main thing churches can lose sight of this did you know that I'm sure it wasn't hard. It's not hard for you to uh, to picture that. We can lose sight of this, and we can start running in many different directions. And sometimes it's hard to find Jesus in His church because we get caught up with so many lesser things, and we start going after so many different going in so many different directions. And somewhere along the line, we stopped to consider what's actually important to the heart of Jesus. What is it that Jesus would have us do? What is it that Jesus would have us be about. And so, first and foremost, this is Jesus' church. It's not my blood that paid for you guys. It's not my blood that bought you. It was His blood. And Jesus said that He would build His church. In the, the Scriptures here, I have a couple of verses that John the Baptist, those classic verses, they came to Him and wanted to know, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? He said, no, I'm not. You know, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming who I'm not even worthy to loose His sandal strap. I'm not even worthy to take His sandal off His foot. And that's, that is the truth. Jesus is worthy, and we're not even worthy to take the shoes off of His feet. And John went on to say, I must decrease, and He must what? Increase. That's right. He is Lord above all. This is His church. And we are here to love and adore and praise Him. We're here to seek His will... And to do His will. And we are here to make His name great. And we are here to be about His business. So Jesus is the main thing. You know, churches can split over some of the most ridiculous things. You know, we lose sight of Jesus and we start getting caught up and split over dumb stuff. I told this story on a Wednesday night. I don't think I've told it on a Sunday morning. I'll tell it again. I recently heard a pastor tell a story about a church. There was a painting... Of Adam and Eve right in the church somewhere and they had belly buttons in the painting and so there was a group of people that said that's not right they can't have belly buttons they were created have you ever thought that about that I I hadn't thought about that (laughs) and another group said so what it doesn't matter well it mattered so much so that it became a church split they split over whether or not Adam and Eve had belly buttons and I just imagine like someone coming into the church. They're new. Or, hey, how you doing? Where'd, where'd you come from? And oh yeah, yeah, I came from this church. Man, you wouldn't believe those people. I mean, they're just going wacky. They actually think Adam and Eve had belly buttons. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't understand. Okay, that's what happens when, when you take your eyes off Jesus and you start getting caught up on, on dumb stuff. And we can laugh about that, but that stuff happens, you know. Church members can get offended Easily, we can get overlooked. Uh, we can fail to be recognized for something that we we have done. We can get our feelings hurt, and we can leave. That that happens. That happens to people when somewhere along the line Jesus was no longer the main thing. When it's about Jesus. I I am a dead man. I don't exist. I'm not here. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. I don't have feelings. How can a crucified person have feelings? You know, I no longer live. Christ lives. And I live for His glory. And so um, those things can happen. Churches can forget that Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head of the church. And that was a big war for a long time between... The Church of England and the the Roman Catholic Church. There was the battle. Who's the head of the church? The Pope or the King of England? Well, I'll tell you, it's neither one of them. It's Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. And sometimes we forget that. And you know what? Sometimes pastors can forget that. Sometimes pastors forget that Jesus is the main thing. And I'm just an under-shepherd. I am not the chief shepherd. You guys are His sheep. You're the sheep of His pastor, and I'm, I'm just here to love you and care for you and by God's grace and His Spirit to feed you and, and help you and comfort you in any way that I can. But you belong to Him, not me. And so I can't be trying to exercise lordship over you or, or whatever the case may be. Jesus is the main thing. It's His church. From the beginning, Calvary has sought to be a Jesus place where it's all about Him and where we don't get distracted with the lesser things and we don't divide over silly, trivial stuff. It's all about Jesus and we want to point people to Him. And that's my prayer and my hope is that when you come in here, you see Christ. You're going to experience Christ in His Word. You're going to experience Christ's presence in His place as we praise Him. You're going to experience Christ as you fellowship with brothers and sisters in the Lord who are filled with the Spirit of Christ and when you are embraced, when you are loved, when you are hugged, when you are prayed for, you're being ministered to by Christ, by the body of Christ. And that's what we want to be all about. Amen? I try to use my amen sparingly because I could use, say it 20 times. I'm a southern preacher and that's what we do. Alright, so next, we're a grace church. We are a grace place. This has been so good for me, guys, as I have been studying through this and listening to pastors talk about it. We are a grace people, and Calvary has been defined as such from the very beginning. And we've always had this come-as-you-are way of doing things. You know, you don't have to be a certain way before you come here. You just come. Just come as you are. The Lord accepts you. The Lord wants to work in you. The Lord wants to heal. The Lord wants to restore. The Lord wants to grow you but the Lord just wants you to come. And this was a huge misconception for me. I remember years ago when I was very much off in addiction and in the throes of crime, um, I'd talk, I remember I was driving by a church one night with a buddy of mine and he, he looked at me and said, Rob, one of these days when I get my life right, I'm going to go to church. And that's how we think. you know, When we get right, then we'll come to God. It does not work that way. That is so backwards and so we need to be an accepting people we need to be gracious god didn't put that demand on us god said come to him come and somehow we get that twisted and so we are able to come to god as we are and come freely but oh i'm going to put demands on you guys you better get it in gear and so we get it twisted and so we are to be a grace place and you know what calvary chapel has received criticism for this for opening up a place for the, the dirty hippies to come into. It wasn't too awful long ago, just a couple of years ago, that a really well-known and respected pastor said that the, the condition of the church today, because there are some things going on out there that are not good, um, it's Calvary Chapel's fault. We were the ones that started this whole thing. We let the, we, we let the world decide what our standards were going to be. And we let the hippies in and we cater to them. That's what they say. And that grieves my heart to hear that, to hear someone say something like that. But we have been criticized for being grace people, for for allowing people to come in as they are, and for accepting them and loving them as they were. But we can't lose sight of that. Um, You know, Pastor Chuck has been criticized. He has come under fire for restoring men into ministry who have had moral failures. And that is kind of a, a deep and a, and a heated, controversial kind of subject. And people do differ on that. What do you do with a, with a pastor when he has a moral failure? And a lot of people would say that's it. He's disqualified forever. And some people would say not so. And Pastor, Grace, uh, pastor Chuck took a stance where he wanted to restore pastors when he thought that it was of the Lord. And I will say, I, I have seen this happen once before in Tennessee I saw a pastor that, that fell into some grievous sin, and I've mentioned this before, but it has really it impacted me, because he, he went through a restoration process, and they, they put him back in to ministry. It was a ministry kind of outside of our church there. And um, a lot of people were really upset about that. And it was a controversial thing. And I just remember being struck by that, and I thought, whether that's right or wrong, I, I don't know. But I could not help but be moved by the grace that he received. And I thought that is our God is a gracious God. He really is merciful. And it is his heart to heal and to restore and to bless. And I need that kind of grace because, you know, I'm I'm no better than than anyone else. No better than that guy. And I we all if we're all honest, we know we fall so short every day and we know we need grace. And our God is standing there ready to extend grace. And it just caused me, honestly, to fall a little more in love with God as I saw that man receive grace. Do you rejoice when you see people receive grace? When you see something bad happen to somebody, do you say, oh, they got what they deserved? Or, you know what, they brought it on themselves. That doesn't make it, I'll just tell you, I, as someone who has brought it on themselves before, it doesn't make it any better. It makes it much, much worse. The, the guilt, the shame that comes with that, the regret. And so I want to be a person where when I see someone receive grace, my heart overflows with gratitude. And I am moved to worship a gracious God. Right? Right? And I've been talking about grace, but let me just define it. Most of us in here probably understand grace, we would say it's unmerited favor. I didn't deserve God's kindness and His goodness, but He gave it to me anyways, just because He's good and He's kind. That is grace. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But I would say it's more than that. Because the reality is we, we merited disfavor. Disfavor. It's not that we were, okay, let's say we have a, a spectrum here, alright? So here's zero, and then here's, let's see, okay, I'm going to try to put it for you guys. Here's negative 100, and then positive 100, and somehow we think we're at zero. And then we started getting God's blessings. But we were like infinitely past negative 100. We deserved, according to the Bible, hell. We deserved a condemnation and judgment for our sins, but God who is rich in love and mercy, has not just, not just reaching down to zero, He has brought us from infinite negative and then brought us all the way into infinite positive plus. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, that's what God has done. That is grace. And as simple as that is, our minds can't even fully comprehend the depth of what God has done for us. The favor and the kindness, the mercy that God has extended to us His graciousness. That's grace. We've received that. We're supposed to extend that to other people. We're supposed to live like that. You know the word legalism. I think we use that word maybe more than we ought sometimes. When we see somebody who's really desiring to live godly, godly in Christ Jesus, and they take a hard stance against sin, we're tempted to look at that and say, oh, you're just being legalistic. That's not good. You know, there is a place for godliness. There is a place for sacrifice. There is a place for, for holiness. Legalism in its truest sense is keeping rules in order to earn salvation. And there are a lot of legalistic religions in our world today. Mormons, for instance, they believe that if they do enough good that maybe they will, they will make it into heaven. Roman Catholicism very much that way. It is a works-based system. You have to confess your sins. You have to say Hail Marys. You have to do all these uh, ritualistic uh, activities. But there's no guarantee. You can't be sure that you'll be saved when it's all said and done. Um, and you may have to go to purgatory for who knows how long. I mean, there's it's there are all these systems set in place. Islam that is pure legalism. At the end, they hope that their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds. And so it's just a matter of doing more good than bad. There's no way we can possibly quantify it, except I would say if we're honest with ourselves, our bad deeds are infinitely more than good, right? And so that is legalism in the truest sense. Grace is the opposite of that. Grace says you can never earn it, not on your best day. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you and the tendency for us is to start out with grace to come to god and acknowledge the fact that we couldn't do anything to earn it but then we move over into works now i have to do x y and z to keep god's favor but that's not the case guys we are saved by grace we are kept by grace you can't do anything to make god love you less you can't make god love you more just soak that in for a second i'm going to say that again You can't do anything to make God love you less. You can't do anything to make God love you more. His favor is on you if you are in Christ Jesus. It is fixed, it doesn't change. He'll never leave you, He'll never forsake you. But we fall into this trap of thinking that we have to start doing X, Y, and Z, or else God's mad at us today. God doesn't love me as much today. I had a brother in Tennessee tell me if he slipped up and had a beer, you know, God would forgive him, but it would take a couple of weeks. Before he was back really in the in the good graces of God. God would, you know, give him the cold shoulder for a couple of weeks and then he would finally get over it. That's what he was saying, really. And at the time it was like, okay. But now I realize the ridiculousness of that way of thinking. That's that's legalistic behavior. And we can fall into that. It happens very subtly. You know, none of us in here would say that you have to do X, Y, and Z to be saved, other than believe on the name of the Lord but uh, it's much more subtle than that we start thinking that we have to perform a certain way uh, in order to to maintain God's kindness and his benevolence and his his love towards us and can I just say that as a pastor I can slip into this too in ministry and unfortunately I'm very grieved to say that I have slipped into this at times and this is something that as I said, I had somewhat of a grace awakening in my heart as I've been studying through this. I'm spending way more time on this one point by the way than I will on the rest cuz this is I think I just want you guys to 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 be edified here and I think this is really where it's at. Jesus and grace. Um whatever good happens, that's God's grace. Whatever goodness that we experience, whatever blessings happen in this church, it's all God's grace. Right? And it's easy as a as a pastor to start trying to crank down pressure on people to perform a certain way or to respond to a message or to fill a ministry in the name of wanting to spur you on to love and good works. Uh, you know we've all experienced conviction when we hear from the Lord and it's painful but it's sweet and uh, and there are times where perhaps I've gone too far trying to manufacture that. And I think particularly of the children's ministry. You guys know that. For a while, I I just felt like I was constantly on that. We need people in the children's ministry. People in the children's ministry. And one day I preached a sermon here, and I just lit you guys up. And that never sat well with me afterwards. And it just recently hit me, especially as I was thinking through this. um, You know what, guys? Forgive me for that. You know, we're blessed. We have a blessed children's ministry. We have beautiful children. We have wonderful servants. And we're doing all right. And I don't ever want to pressure people into filling a role. Uh, I want you to do what God would have you to do. Uh, It's not good when someone is coerced into doing something or compelled to do something that they don't really want to do. Because then their heart's not in it. It's not a joyous thing for them and they don't show up half the time because they never really wanted to do it in the first place. So forgive me, guys. I, I, I want to show grace to you. I want to encourage you. You understand where I'm, where I'm coming from here? And I have received grace. God has dealt graciously with me and I want to be gracious with you guys. Pastors can fall into the same trap. It's not about you guys performing or filling a ministry or, or anything of the sort. It's about you guys hearing from God and doing what God would have you to do because it's in your heart to do it. Amen? Alright. Moving on. Love. Love should flow very naturally from Jesus' people and a grace place. If we are lovers of the Lord and we are filled with His grace, then love ought to flow very naturally. We ought to be marked by that. We ought to be a people that are marked by love. And if we don't have love, that's a real indication that something's wrong. That we don't have the Lord or we're not walking in His grace if we don't have love. I remember seeing love as an as a, uh, unbeliever. Seeing Christian love really struck me. I was impacted by it. I remember one guy in particular that I was really watching. You know how we talk about how you're watched as a Christian? Well, it's true. Because I watched Christians. And I had come my mind made up about Christians, what I thought about them. It wasn't good. Um, but there was one guy in particular, and I remember I was just really in a bad place one time, and I was hurting and I just remember thinking about this guy and thinking about the love that I saw and how he loved people and loved me. And it about broke my heart. It about brought me to tears because I saw I want to be like that. I want to have that. And uh, I have met a number of people like that since then. You know, Jesus said they're, they're going to know that you're my disciples by what? By your love one for another. That's how they're going to know not by your ability to answer all the right questions, not by your ability to X, Y, and Z, by your love for one another. And so we have traditionally always been marked by love, and that's something that we have to continue to, there's a sense of which that it flows out of us, a Spirit-filled church of people that love the Lord, but it's something that we have to be intentional about, is it not? We have to be intentional about loving people, we can't just assume that people are going to come in and just feel loved. I mean, we have to be intentional. We have to seek people out, converse with them, dig a little bit, find out a little bit about them, pray for them, uh, encourage them. How can, we, how can we serve you? Is there a need that perhaps we can meet? How can we love you? How can we love you? Are we a church that operates that way? Are, are people just mowing over other people to see how they can love somebody and get to somebody and be a blessing to them you know um calvary chapel has always been a church that has been marked by love and that's my prayer for us and let me just say this i have in this church you guys have loved me and from the very beginning when i came here i didn't really know what to expect i didn't really know if you guys would receive me and my my wife jessica but man It's been overwhelming how you guys have loved us and encouraged us and cared for us. And so I can say that it exists in this church. This is a loving church. We have been direct recipients. I've seen you guys love each other. I've seen you guys love people outside of this church. And so I'm grateful for that. I want to stir you up. Keep keep doing this. Keep being marked by this. All right, moving on. The Scriptures. We are a... Ministry of the Word here. That's what we're all about. And it feels kind of odd doing a teaching like this because uh, I'm talking all about how we're all about the Bible. Um, But there is a place for topical messages. But by and large, we are a people that are uh, all about teaching the Bible. Verse by verse. Expository teaching. Again, Pastor Chuck faithfully modeled this for us. And a lot of people were impacted by it. They grabbed a hold of this. They started doing it. As I said, I'm kind of going through uh, the whole Bible series with Pastor Chuck uh, for the second time, personally. And uh, we're going to start this in January on Wednesday nights. We're going to Genesis. And we're just going to start booking it through. And so I want to encourage you guys. I want to nourish you. We all have a responsibility to feed ourselves. You know, uh, a baby we're going to feed a baby, right? Obviously we have to. But once, once the baby becomes a child, uh, there comes a time when the child learns to, to feed themselves, and then once they become adult, I mean, it's especially the case. You're, fo- you're tracking with me, right? And, and so I want to, to feed you guys, but obviously you have to feed yourselves, too. If this is all you're getting on Sunday morning, I, I fear for you. I'm concerned for your walk. Right, But having said that, it is my desire, it is my calling before the Lord to, to open His Word to you guys and to speak to you, to, to explain it to the best of my ability by His Spirit and to, to speak forth truth in a way that really God can just minister to your hearts by the spoken Word. And that is the, the calling that is on my life, that is the fire of my heart. And so I'm so glad that you're here. It means a lot to me. And then on Wednesday nights, we, we gather together to get into the Word. And we're going to be going through the Bible rapidly. You know, We're going to cover many chapters at a time and try to make our way through the entire Bible. And so I want to encourage you guys to come out and be a part of that. That is one of the major distinctives of a Calvary Chapel. We teach the Bible cover to cover. And it's a wonderful experience to hear the Word taught that way. And so my heart is for you guys to be there because I want you to be edified. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to receive the Word and to be built up in the faith. And, and I want to see the health that will come from that permeate within our church and then go outside of the, the walls of this church. And so that's my encouragement to you guys. That's what we're about here. Many traditional churches, I'm sure you've heard of Sunday school. Sunday school is not a bad thing, but a lot of churches will have it where they come in before the main service and they'll have an hour devoted to Bible study And then they go into the main service. And in the south, where I'm from, a big part of the reason why they do that is because there is no teaching from the pulpit. It is purely uh, evangelistic, geared messages. They're just trying to, to preach the gospel and get people saved. And that's all well and good, but that's all they get. And if that's all you're getting someone might come to christ but then they're going to be anemic they're going to be weak they're going to be sickly they need to be fed and that was part of where pastor chuck struggled over the years so sunday school would be the answer to that you come to the sunday school you get fed the bible then you go on the main service and some churches just go crazy with this and they'll uh people will come forward who are already saved to get saved again so the pastor will just stop because he just keeps going and going and going. He's not going to stop till someone gets saved. So someone's been saved three or four times now just to get the pastor to shut up, you know. And so um, we don't have Sunday school here because we are teaching straight from the pulpit. I am teaching you guys the Bible. I am teaching you the Word. You are getting doctrine. That's what we are all about. And A.W. Tozer said, I like this, it takes nothing less than a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. All right. we, we are New Testament Christians, but there is so much understanding that we have in the New Testament because it's rooted in the Old Testament. And as we work our way through the Old Testament, in so many ways it really gives us insight into the New Testament. And there's so many wonderful things we can glean from the Old. So we believe in the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative Word of God from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. And we want to teach it, the whole thing. Paul said, I did not shun to declare to you the entire counsel of God. I want to give you guys the whole book and nothing less than the whole book. I don't know what else I would do if I didn't teach the Bible. I mean, there are people out there that are good at this. They come up with series week after week after week, month after month. They have all these different things and I just have to hang it up, man. I'm just not that creative. I'm, you know... I don't have that great of an imagination. All right. So I I got the Bible here. That's all I got. Thank God. That's all I got. That's all I want. That's all I need. And that's what we're about here. And so one of the couple of the, the beautiful things about teaching the Bible this way is that it forces me, frankly, to cover topics I might not normally want to cover. Let me just say this, guys, so you don't freak out. We're not going to make it through this whole list, so don't worry. Okay, we're going to stop a couple short. Um, I'm getting ready to wrap it up. And so uh, there are topics that I, um, I would probably do my best to just stay away from altogether, except I have to. And that's part of the reason why we do this, because it's for my good, it's for your good. Teaching through the Bible like that forces me to hit the hard topics. Conversely, there are topics that I love that I would gladly teach frequently. You would hear me talking about it all the time. But teaching through the Bible, again, it prevents that. You guys get a well balanced diet. You get the hard stuff, you get the good stuff, you get the vegetables that nobody wants of Leviticus and and Ezekiel, right? But it's good for you, it's good, you need it. Uh, But then you get the dessert, you know, you get the Gospels, you get, you know, all of those things. So, Um, it's it's necessary for a well-balanced diet. And it's so interesting when we cover the Bible that way, it just works out in God's providence that I will speak to a certain situation in your life in just the right time. Now, how in the world can that be? That's just God's providence. I'm working my way faithfully through the Bible and I speak to a specific situation in your life. And God knew that. God knew that. And it, it safeguards me because I don't know, pastors experience this, I'll have someone come up to me and say, man, what you were saying, that spoke specifically to this situation. It was like you knew my story. But sometimes, I haven't had this experience, people will come up and literally accuse you of that. You knew that. Somebody told you and you were talking about me. And I can say, no, no. I just happen to be in that place today. That's between you and God. If the shoe fits, wear it. That's on you. But I didn't know. You know? And so... That's one of the blessings of that. So there's there's balance, um, forces me to cover things I wouldn't normally to to um, you know all all of those good things. So we'll stop right there. So we made it through four. I had to go through the history part of Calvary Chapel. That ate up more time than I thought it would. So next week we'll pick up and uh, talk about doctrine. So we're going to close with a song. Let me pray for us.